Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I was eating uh, lunch with Brother Kemp several years ago and asked him what the secret of his longevity was at harvest time. And very seriously, he looked at me and he said, just don't leave. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. You just don't leave. You stick it out. Amen. It's not the duration of life, but our donation to life that really counts. If you were to die today, what donation to this life would you have made? Have you been a consumer or have you been a contributor? I know people who have lived for many, many years, but when they died, basically all you could say about those people is that they have consumed. They have taken, 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 and never given anything back. On the other hand, I have known people who have died in their 20s and 30s, but they were givers. They were contributors. They were people who made eternal investments. They put their treasure on the side of heaven rather than on this side. And let me tell you something, folks. Giving has absolutely nothing to do with our assets. It has everything to do with our attitudes. All right? Now, I want you to think just for a moment of a person that you greatly admire and respect and love. What is it about that person that you appreciate so much? What is it about that person that draws you to them? What is it about that person that you admire, respect, and love? I want to let you do something this morning I don't typically let you do. I want to let you talk to me out loud. But watch it, all right? Give me some words that describe the person that you greatly admire, love, and respect. Throw them out at me. Honesty, integrity, passion, dependability, unselfishness, love. Okay, stop. That's enough. That's enough. I don't want you to start doing that. I want you to notice the character traits that you have said today. None of those things has anything to do with that person's ability or their talents or their skills or even their looks. Now that tells me something, either, either you don't care what your friends look like or all your friends are ugly, I don't know, but really they don't. All of these words that you've mentioned are attitudes. Your attitudes attract you to other people. Now over the next several weeks, I'm going to speak to you about managing God's resources. I'm starting, Brother Kemp, thanks for coming today, I'm starting a, a series of sermons on stewardship. The ABCs and a D of stewardship, all right? And what we're going to be talking about is managing God's resources. Now, the thing that makes you attractive to God is not your abilities, it's not your skills, it's not your talents, or even your looks. It's not that you have these things. What attracts God to you is your attitude towards those things and what you do with the stuff of life. That's what attracts God to you. Let me give you a definition of stewardship that we'll be working on. Stewardship is utilizing God-given abilities to manage God-given resources to accomplish God-ordained results. In other words, stewardship is using all the stuff that God has loaned us to build his kingdom. 
Now, you can give without loving, but you cannot love and not give. Because our God is a giving God, and he is a God of love. So, let's look at our passage today, Luke chapter 10, and it's going to talk about the attitude of a successful steward. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him. Steve, those cotton-picking lawyers, they were causing trouble way back then, weren't they? Eh? Saying, teacher... What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. In the big scheme of things, in the big picture, Jesus is really telling us a couple of things here. He is telling us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love people. And that's what it's about, folks, loving God and loving people. And our attitude of stewardship is also found in this particular parable. In fact, there are three attitudes exhibited here. The first two are bad attitudes that you don't want to have. The third one is the one we want to grab hold of and adopt for our own today. What are the three attitudes? Number one, what is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. Bad attitude. What is yours is mine, and I'm going to take it from you. We see this in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. The first attitude is that of a robber or a thief. What you have I want, and I'm going to take it from you. We want nothing to do with this attitude, do we? And none of you have this attitude, right? Okay, I hope not, all right? Rightly so, this is an attitude of greed. It's an attitude of sinful flesh. Oh, preacher, I would never have that attitude. What a horrible attitude. And you're right, and I pray that you don't. But you know what? I have seen greed do some awfully mean things to people. Greed is a bad thing to have. 
to see something that you have and want it so bad that I take it from you. That's exactly what these thieves did. They, they saw this man who was traveling down this lonely road. They say in the hills between Jerusalem and Jericho were, were bandits and thieves. They pounced down on this man. They beat him till he was half dead. They threw him on the side of the road, or as we would say out in West Texas, in the bar ditch. And they took all of his money, leaving him to die. What's yours is mine, and I'm going to take it. When I was a little boy, I, I got uh, the book Aesop's Fables, and, and uh, I can remember one of the stories about the dog who went in the butcher shop, and he saw a big piece of meat, and so he wanted it, and he took it, and he ran out of the butcher shop, and the butcher was chasing him, you know, trying to kill him. He was going to go to a secluded place and eat it, and on the way he had to cross a, a little brook or a stream. And as the dog with the meat in his mouth crossed the brook, he happened to look down, and he saw his own reflection. But he didn't know it was his own reflection. He looked down, and he saw another dog with a big piece of meat in his mouth, and he wanted what that dog had, and so he opened his mouth to take it. And guess what? He lost what he had. Greed. Selfishness. What a bad attitude. What's yours is mine and I'm going to take it from you. Do you realize that God is the owner of everything? It's the key of what I'm saying today. God owns everything. And he simply allows us to manage what he has. Now, I have a couple of columns that I want to show you here. Uh, if we have a proper understanding of God owning everything, we understand that we are the manager of what God owns, everything. He's given it to us to manage for Him. If we do not understand that, then we fit under the other category of owner. We think we own everything. It's ours. God has nothing to do with it. The bad attitude, the wrong attitude. Now, if we understand that God owns everything and we simply manage it, guess what? We are going to have a very thankful attitude. We're going to have an attitude of gratitude. Uh, we're going to look at our house and say, God, thank you for allowing me to live in this house that you have provided. It's not my house, it's your house. Lord, thank you for the car or the pickup. Come on. Or the bass boat, or the motorcycle, <laughs> you let me ride. I understand it's not mine, it's yours, thank you. Lord, thank you for the job you allow me to go to and work at. Thank you for the money that you provide and give to me. Lord, I understand it's not mine, it's yours, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's your attitude, it's a grateful attitude. You understand it's not yours, you couldn't have done it without God. It's because of God you got it, thank you God. Attitude of gratitude. However, if you think you own everything... You have a prideful attitude. That's a bad attitude. Pride goes before a what? Well, God hates pride. Augustine, one of the first century theologians, said pride is the root sin. By that he meant it is the sin from which every other sin grows because it believes in my independence from God. It says I can do it on my own. It's like the parable Jesus told of the man who was a farmer and he, he had a bumper crop one year and he filled up his barns. He had so much of a crop that he had to tear those barns down in big builder barns. He said, look what I've done. He had an eye problem. Look what, look what I've accomplished. God said, you fool. Tonight I require your soul. When you think you own everything, Miss Gail, 
you are like the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, one of my favorite books in the Bible. The theme of the book of Deuteronomy is do not forget. Don't forget God. And in chapter 8, Moses is telling them, don't forget God. You people are about to go into the promised land, a land that God is giving you as an inheritance. You are about to receive things that you've never had before. You are going to live in houses you did not build. You are going to have flocks of livestock you did not raise. You are going to have money you did not earn. God is going to give For the first time in your life, you're going to have something. Do not let your heart be filled with pride and do not forget God. And he warns them in verse 17 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He said, when all this happens, you are going to be tempted to say in your heart, by my power and by the strength of my hand, I have gained myself this wealth. God said, don't have that attitude. Because it's not yours. It's his. Now, if we understand that God owns everything and we're simply the manager, we're going to understand, number two there, that it's all for the master's kingdom work. It's all for his work. Think about this. When God saved you, he didn't immediately zap you to heaven. Now, that would have been a pretty good deal, wouldn't it? I mean, we wouldn't have to put up with all the junk we have to put up with on planet Earth. Once we get he just zap us to heaven, we're there, right? Great. Some of you need to get saved, first of all. That would be awesome. But he didn't do that. He left us here on planet Earth to be his ambassador, to be his spokesman. You are here for the primary purpose of winning other people to Jesus Christ. And when you understand all this, when you step back and get the big picture of things, you realize all of the resources that I have are not for my consumption. They are for kingdom work. Otherwise, you're going to be on this other side and you're going to build your own little kingdom. And you will be just like that man in Jesus' parable. You know? You're going to have to open other bank accounts and have other 401k programs and build bigger houses and bigger barns to keep all the stuff that you have. And you're going to perish with all that stuff. And here's what I know about you. If that's the way you are, you're miserable right now. Because stuff can't buy you love. You understand that God owns everything and you're the manager? You understand this transient idea that, that, you know what, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You understand the concept. I was naked when I came into this world. (laughs) And I want to be naked when I leave this world. And I can't take any of it with me. So you don't hold on too tightly of anything that is in this world. You reach out with open hands. Otherwise, you think this is all there is. And folks, if that's the way you are... That this is all there is, what a miserable existence that you have. You understand that God owns everything and you're the manager? You're going to live to please other people. You get what Jesus is talking about in this whole story. The two greatest things in life, love God, love people. Otherwise, you're just going to live to please yourself. And you will be absolutely miserable. Here's the real test in the spiritual realm. Let's say that this past week your paycheck was 500 bucks. You got 500 bucks. That was your paycheck. Question is, how much of that is God's? Don't answer me. How much of that is God's? Well, you could give one of three answers. You could say none of it. And that really is a bad attitude, isn't it? God didn't get up at 7 o'clock every day this week and go to work. I did. It's not his money. It's my money. 
Or you could say, well, okay, let me calculate this uh, because I'm a good Christian person. I made 500, 10% of that is 50. I'll write my check out for 50 bucks. That's what belongs to God. Or, answer number three, you could step back and say, all of it. All of it. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> you got it right. What does verse 27 say? You shall love the Lord your God with 10% of your heart. All your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. I, you know, I, I, I pity... Brother Kemp, I'm at one of those points in my sermon where do I say it or do I not say it? Do I say it or do I not say it? You know, you understand? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. You know, I, I really do hurt for the Christian who doesn't at least understand the concept of tithing. Yeah, I really hurt for that person. You know, that's the one thing God challenges us to do. You know, I challenge you with this. You know, I'm going to bless you. You give me the 10%, and I promise I will bless you. So I hurt for the Christian that just doesn't even get that concept, that, that you know, every week I need to give God 10% of what I make. But I really hurt for the Christian who, who doesn't get this concept of, of the legality of it, that, you know what, it's a joy to give. I, I was visiting a, a person in the hospital this week, and... Uh, um, and his wife said to me, oh, preacher, before you leave, let me write out our tithe check. Uh, I, th I think I'm behind on my tithe. They've been sick for a long time, been in the hospital. She said, let me write the tithe check out. And, and then the man who's, who's been deathly sick, uh, only able to, to kind of whisper out words, he said, a long time ago, we started tithing on what we wanted to make, not what we made. And I thought to myself, he got it. He's got it. He understands it. 10% is not God's. All of it is God's. It all belongs to God. So, number one, you don't want to have the attitude, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Nor do you want to have the second attitude, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Verses 31 and 32. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, he came over and looked, but then he passed by on the other side. As far as I know, this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus said anything negative about a priest. But he kind of slams him here. Here you have a Levite and a priest, holy men of God. They were very religious. And once a year, they would go do their weekly duty in the temple. They were traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem. They had to go do their one week's duty in the temple, where they would do the things of God. They were committed to God. They were going to God's house to work. And they lived under the law. And the law specifically said that they could not touch anything that was unclean. And so if they touched a man that was dead, they would be unclean. And they would have to go through a purification process. It would take a lot of time. They would not be able to go and do God's work. And so you see the dilemma they're in. The priest didn't even go by and look. He just saw the guy over there laying in the bar ditch, bloodied. He said, the guy could be dead. I don't want to go check it out. I don't want to go touch him because I don't want to lose my chance to worship God. 
Do you see how ridiculous that is? And so he just kept on trucking. The, the Levite, you know, at least he went over and looked at him, but same thing for him. He, you know, he, he didn't want to touch the guy or help the guy. It would make him unclean. And so because they were committed to God and they were committed to the law, they didn't help this man. Now, I know a lot of people like this today. They are so caught up in legalism that they can't see beyond the law to help someone who's in need. Who are you talking about, preacher? Well, it, it's like a bunch of church folks that I know who won't even go and talk to certain people if they don't look just right. Or certain church people who don't want other folks coming into their church if they don't, they just don't fit in our church. I'm, I'm not going to talk to that because they don't dot their I and cross their T just like we think that they should. We're too busy serving God and doing our own thing to help anyone in need. It's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that grace and love should be above the law. Is there anything worse than a legalistic Christian? They're all bound up with their rules and they're letting people die on the side of the road instead of getting involved in their lives. These people go through life. They're doing their own thing, and maybe they're not even hurting anybody else, but they're sure not helping. They kind of treat life like a picnic area. How many of you have, have ever stopped at a roadside uh, rest area and eaten a picnic lunch on a picnic table. Raise your hand, leave it up. I want to see anybody ever done that. Okay, those of you who are my age and older have done that. Uh, you young people, we don't do that anymore because we're afraid if we stop at one of those places we'll get killed. <laughs> Robbed and killed, right? But let me tell you, when I was a little boy and we'd go on family vacation, uh, you know, uh, there's no way in the world my dad was going to stop at a restaurant on the road and, and buy us a, a lunch, uh, I mean, if, yeah, if there was a local hardware store giving away free hot dogs, he'd stop. But there's no way he could know that in advance. And so uh, the day before we left, Mom would fix a picnic basket and uh, we'd put it in the trunk of the car and we'd take off on our vacation. And about lunchtime, we'd find one of those roadside areas and we'd pull off. And you know, you know how you do. You open the trunk, you get your basket out. Maybe you have a tablecloth and you'll lay it on the picnic table. You put all your food out there and you'll just have a great time eating a sandwich. Let the kids run around and climb the trees and play, burn off energy because they've been in the car and you've got to get back in the car. When they're done, you pick up all of the trash, you put it in the trash can, don't you? Because you're a good person and you're cleaning up your mess, Right? Make the kids go to the bathroom, load up in the car, and you leave. You Look, I've, I've been here, but you can't even tell that I've been here because I've cleaned everything up. What a, what a great thing. Wow. What you don't realize is that it costs somebody resources, labor, time to have what you just enjoyed. Somebody had to pay for that to be built there. Somebody had to build the picnic table. Somebody had to build the bathrooms. Somebody is going to have to come after you and empty the trash can, clean the bathrooms, trim the trees, and mow the grass. 
You understand? And for you to say, see, I didn't mess anything up. Well, the problem with that is you've not contributed to keep things going for the next person. Listen to me. Everything we enjoy today is either a benefit from God or it is a blessing from someone before us. And the attitude of what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it is wrong because things must be passed on. I'm not only responsible for what's mine, but I'm responsible for you to do too. And I'm responsible for the generation that follows me. Reminds me of the story of the grandpa who was planting some fruit trees and his grandson happened to be with him, helping him, and he was working real hard to plant these little tiny trees. And It was a pretty sharp little grandson, and he looked up at his granddad and he says, Granddad, why are you doing all this work? Because you're never going to eat any of the fruits. Pretty sharp. The grandpa looked down at his grandson, realized it was a life lesson time, and he said, Son, the world doesn't stop just when I leave. And I'm not planting these trees for me to eat fruit on them. I'm planting the trees for you and for those who come after you. What's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. It's a rotten attitude. But so many of us have it. What attitude do we want? Number three, what is mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. Put a smile on your face. (laughs) What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. We see this in verses 33 through 37. A Samaritan journeyed by, came where he was. He saw the man, had compassion on him. He went over, he, he put oil and wine on him. He put the guy on his own donkey. He took him to an inn. He took care of him. He told the innkeeper, here's some money to take care of this guy. And if it costs more, when I come back through, I'll pay you. What a great attitude. What's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. But notice the similarities between all three of these individuals. All three of them saw the same problem. The priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, they all saw the same problem. Here was a man in need. That was the problem. They all saw that with their own eyes. But only one really saw. My prayer for Kavanaugh Church is that we have a whole lot of people who see with eyes that are open to the things of God. What was the real need here? A man in need. What is the need in the River Valley? People who are in need. People are all around us in need. Don't leave when I finish preaching because there's a little video clip you need to watch about people in our area who are in need. We all see it. But do we really see it? All of them had the same opportunity to give. All three of them could have taken care of the problem. And if you say, I don't have anything to give, let me expound the Greek on that. Baloney. I've seen the poorest of people who were some of the greatest givers in life. Giving has absolutely nothing to do with your assets or your possessions. Giving has everything to do with your attitude. All of them had something else to do. They all had reasons not to help. You know what? That is no excuse. 
the Samaritan's attitude helped him overcome his prejudice. If there is one of the three that had a reason not to help this man, it was the third, the Samaritan. Because Jews hated Samaritans. They treated them like dogs. But yet this Samaritan had compassion and he cared. He gave up his own stuff. He gave up his own conveniences. He gave up his own mode of transportation, his donkey. He gave up his own time to help this man. And he gave up his money. Let me just give you a few observations about attitudes and then we'll leave. Number one, attitude is more important than ability. Attitude is more important than ability. You say, well, I don't have the ability to do this. I don't have the ability to give. Yes, you do. God will never ask you to do something. He has not already provided the resources to you to do it. If I've heard this time, one time, I've heard it a hundred times. People who say to me, oh, preacher, if, if I just had a million dollars, I'd give half of it to the church. <laughs> the camp, anybody ever told you that? If I just had a million dollars, I'd give half. And I'm thinking, no, you wouldn't. You lying dog, you wouldn't do that. Because you know what I'm thinking in my mind. You, you, you never put anything in the offering plate anyway, you know. What, what are you doing with what God has given you? Attitude is more important than ability. Number two, attitude is more important than position. Honestly, it should have been the professional ministers who should have helped. It should have been the priests and the Levites. They had the official title. I know a lot of people who, who tell me, oh, I just can't do that. I, I don't have the position to do it. I'm, I don't have the title to do it. Who cares? What, what this tells me is, you know, God doesn't care about titles and positions. All God cares about is a servant's heart. Who's willing to help? Attitude is more important than timing. Really, the priest and the Levite had a, a much better jump on time than the Samaritan did. The, the guy was only half dead when they passed by. He must have been three-quarters of the way dead when the Samaritan passed by. Have you ever realized and, and, and thought of this? Usually tragedy strikes you at the least opportune time. Things happen in life when we don't expect them. Things happen when we don't have time for them. Well, it all depends on your attitude. Sometimes God messes with me and interrupts my schedule, and I get all bent out of shape because I like to do things when they're supposed to be done. But I realize God, God is just shaking things up and saying, Hey, Will, I've got a better appointment for you. What I want you to do is more important than what you thought you needed to do. And when I understand my time is His time, it belongs to Him anyway, it doesn't matter. It's all His time. So let's become active givers right now. Uh, Jesus told the parable and he said, Okay, which one of these three guys was the best neighbor? And the lawyer said, Well, I guess the one who helped him. Jesus said, You got it right. Verse 37, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Love God. Love people. Love God. Love people.
You can do that when you have the right attitude. And, and you realize that God owns everything and he's just letting me manage it for him. And what is mine is not really mine, it's his. And if he wants me to give it to you, that's fine. Because I understand that if, if he wants me to give something that he's given to me to you, then he's going to give me something in return that's a whole lot better. And it might not be a bigger car or a better house or anything material. It may just be that, that feeling on the inside that I've connected with God. And, and I'm becoming a little bit more like God because our God is a giving God. And I'm learning to become like him. I'm being a giver. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us this valuable lesson today that, that we need to be givers like you. That we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we need to love other people. We need to be looking around for people who are in need. And realize that what we have is not really ours, it's yours. And so we can give that to them to help them know you. Lord, if there's a person here today that's never received you as their Savior, I pray that today they would come and be saved. And if there's a Christian who is away from you, I pray that today they would come back home and restore their relationship with you. And Lord, for the rest of us who are here, may we come today and, and just dedicate our life at the altar and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I'm, I want to be a giver. Lord, you're putting that person that, that, that needs something that I have. Maybe it's my time. Maybe it's my resources. Maybe, maybe it's my love. You're putting that person on my heart right now. Lord, I'm going to come and pray for that person so that I can minister to them for you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we come right now and pray. There are a lot of people in our church who need to be lifted up. May, may we come and do that right now and pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? The altars are open. Would you like to come right now and pray? Got a lot of people who need prayer. Would you come and intercede for them? Would you? Come on. Let's pray together. Amazing.